Standing up in McKinney, this is According to Callus, coming out on October the 20th, episode 287, entitled, When Sing Louder is Not Enough. Before I go into the content, let me just remind you, you can subscribe, share, like, and comment on this podcast whether you do it on the social media that i share it on or the podcast itself i would appreciate the feedback it is important to me and it only helps us grow and speaking of growing did you ever wonder why churches seem to go so soft that they don't wish to offend anybody one can surmise that it all starts back from the church growth movement. Some would put it on Bill Hybels. Others would find somebody else. But basically, they looked at how can we use marketing? How can we use tactics that the um, secular world uses to put butts in seats? And I'm convinced that while that sounded nominally good at the start. In other words, if we want to get the word out, if we want to redeem the world, we have to bring people here to the church. When you sacrifice what you're going to say and what you're going to do in order to accomplish that, ultimately it leads to destruction. And that that has borne out in many, many situations. Um, just a few that I can think of and I don't mean to cast dispersions, particularly on the church itself uh, that I'm going to name. It's just, it's evident that something wasn't quite right there. And eventually it caught up with them. You can start with Crystal Cathedral. You could go to uh, Willow Bend, which was Bill Hybels church. You could also mention nine marks and the whole X 29 thing. And, And again, I don't know the details. I'm not going to pretend to know the details. Some of it could be individuals. Some of it could have been just policies. Some of it could have just been, you know, so many people and eventually something happened that they could not overcome. But the whole concept of singing louder uh, comes from what uh, Bonhoeffer has reputed to say that the Lutheran churches that were state-approved churches did when the trains would roll by. They would sing louder so they wouldn't have to hear the cries from the passengers in those cattle cars. To me, it's it's a pejorative way to describe the American church and that they seem to think if they'll just sing louder, they can blot out the failures of both the country and, quite frankly, the Protestant church. Now, I'm not Catholic. Uh, My family left Catholicism uh, shortly after I was born. Uh, I have no ill will towards uh, my fellow Catholics out there, if you will, since I'm, I guess, technically being christened Catholic, still technically a Catholic. Um, I think there's plenty of good individuals, uh, just like there is within the Protestant church and the Orthodox church. Uh, There are churches that claim to be Christian that, quite frankly, I have really hard challenges giving them a pass. It's real simple. 
either Jesus Christ is Lord and there's no way to the Father but through him, or you're not a Christian church. And there is only one God, and he is known by three uh, distinct personalities, if you will. And I can't explain the Trinity, and quite frankly, I don't think anybody truly can explain the Trinity. But if you deny the Trinity, clearly you are wrong. So if you say there is anything else beyond God is understood in the Trinity, you are wrong in order to be an Orthodox Christian. And Orthodox Christianity, if I'm being uh, fair, could expand to include all of the Catholic variations, all of the Protestant variations, and all of the Eastern Orthodox variations until such time that they deny the divinity of Christ or they claim there's more than one God or there's more than one way to God. Or that, well, no, I guess it's pretty clear. So <clears throat> there's a big window there within the uh, my understanding of orthodoxy. And I don't wish to get into any doctrinal disputes or debates because that's not the point. The point is there are at least two major factional churches that make up a majority of the population in these United States. And I would submit to you is they've been singing louder. They haven't been paying attention. They haven't wanted to be getting involved. Oh, to be sure, there are plenty of progressive churches who claim to be Christian um, that fail on more than one of, of those uh, delineations I made earlier. Uh, they have no problem getting involved in politics. In fact, in many ways, they're real good about being involved in politics, social politics, because they see as social justice as a part of the social gospel, which is a part of salvation, which we've dealt with this before, because much like Solomon said, there's nothing new under the sun. So it just keeps coming back again and again and again. My concern is the church, universal church, if you will, has been asleep at the switch. Now, there are those that would blame the pastors. There are those that would blame the elders. There are those that would say the seminaries were captured. There are those that would say that, like I do, when you submit yourself to a church, church growth plan rather than a growth of the body, that's what sows the seeds of destruction. And from what I have heard, from what I've gathered, mostly second and third hand, is there's really not but maybe one seminary left in these United States that has not been captured by the enemy. And if you see some of the uh, reports that have come out through various um, surveys only 40-some percent of senior pastors hold a biblical worldview. And it goes lower when you go to the associate pastor or teaching pastor, and lower still when you go to the um, youth or student ministries pastors, and then the lowest still in the executive pastors. Now, I wonder why that might be. Could it be they have the wrong priorities? Could it be that they were taught the wrong things? Could it be that they are sacrificing that which they know is good and the altar of growth? I, I, I don't know. 
And I'm not pointing the finger at any one individual or any one church in this synopsis. It's just supposed to be a general overview. I'm going to bring it in closer now. See, in McKinney, Texas, we have some crazy going on in the school district. And it's in many, many other school districts. But I can only speak to the things that happen in the local school districts that surround where I live. And there are seven school districts that service, in part, the city of McKinney. And all of them have issues, various issues. Uh, Not surprising, uh, there's largely silence from the pastors in the pulpits and the pastors in the public. Oh, there's one or two or three that are bold and will speak on the issue and will actually show up to some of the meetings. And before we go any further, let me just pause for just a second and remind you, I don't advocate theocracy, though I believe that everybody has a little bit of theocracy. It's just a question of who their God is, but I don't advocate, you know, Christian dominion. Although if you're going to have dominion, I would much rather it be Christian than non-Christian, but I don't advocate that. And I don't advocate that we force anybody to do anything as far as your values. Okay. So now that I've put those three provisos back in place that I feel like I have to say from time to time to remind people that Liberty means that you're going to be able to do things that I'm uncomfortable with or I don't like. And so long as you're not hurting somebody else, I probably ought to just leave you alone. So the church sings louder when it comes to many, many issues. But the churches that get out and do the work are typically progressive in nature and they have no restraint And shoving down the latest social gospel, I'll just use a kind word, nonsense, that they have deemed important. And in fact, they are embraced by one or more of the political parties. And that they should be the standard bearers of what is known as Christianity in these United States. Now, once again, I don't want my pastor to get up on the pulpit and tell me who I should vote for. I don't want my pastor to get up on the pulpit and tell me that uh, the U.S. Constitution is inspired by God. I don't want my pastor to get up there and tell me that one party is right 100% and the other party is not. Because clearly all of those things are not true and not appropriate. However... Just the low-hanging fruit here. We did not barely mention the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court actually made a good decision whereupon they said there is no federal authority to protect a woman's right to kill her baby in its womb. They said that should be handled by the individual states. And the individual states are going to have various approaches on how to handle that. In the state of Texas, largely it's based upon the idea, if the baby has a heartbeat, you don't kill it. And they even left in some of the exceptions that we always hear, right? Oh, the life of the mother. Okay, well, yeah, that's a given. 
you're choosing one life over another. You can't have both. Okay, fine. Uh, rape and incest. Okay, yeah, maybe. Uh, they generally are accounted for 2% of all abortions are as a result of a, or rape or incest. And I'll just tell you, that may be artificially low. It may be because people don't want to usually admit that. Okay. But if you have, I don't know, 20,000 abortions a year in the state of Texas, I'm going to just guess there's probably about two to 400 uh, pregnancies, pregnancies that are a result of rape. I'm just going to guess. If that if that's true, I mean that's the two percent, and if every one of them went and terminated their pregnancy because, you know, two wrongs make a right, uh, that would be terrible. But I don't see the purpose of locking that person up. So, and then incest—that's just icky. I don't even talk about it. But I will acknowledge there's probably a percent in there somewhere. And if that's the case, that's the case. But we don't make law based on exceptions to the law. We don't make rules based on the exception to the rule. As a matter of fact, I find it ironic that really and truly, other than some of the Catholic parishes and some of the Orthodox parishes, there's been a whole lot of silence out of the Protestant church celebrating what should be a big win. And while we're on the topic... I go around town in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, and every once in a while I'll drive by a church, and it says Black Lives Matter. Well, yes, that is a true statement. It's loaded with all sorts of political baggage and an organization that was a front for a bunch of thieves. But if you believe Black Lives Matter, then as a church, you ought to be preaching about not killing your baby in the womb. Because I would surmise that there's a whole lot more black babies being killed in their womb than by bad cops. But that's just a guess. I mean, you'd have to do your own research. And, you know, this is according to Callus, and it's based almost entirely on my opinion of matters, uh, backed up largely by easily attainable facts or information. But you should never, ever believe me or anyone else without double checking them. So if you should find that I'm off and not by like a percentage point, but I am off dramatically, I want to know about it. Put it in the comments, send me a message, text me, call, email, whatever. I'd love to hear. But while we're on that, we have some churches that teach that economic redistribution through various other schemes is appropriate. And we should do that. But the Bible clearly states you're not supposed to punish the son for the sins of the father and vice versa. So if you're doing redistribution, and there are many names for redistribution, one of which is called reparations. But if you're going to do that, that's wholly unbiblical. Now, you could make the argument of restitution. And you know what? I agree, there probably should have been some restitution at some point in the past, but that ship sailed. And I would say that based upon the billions of dollars spent in the various social welfare programs, I would say that slate's pretty much been balanced out. And for those of you who uh, are going to be churchy people and then 
claim that there are systemic racial problems, what system, where? Uh, I'm just, I'm tired of hearing about it. I'm tired of being blamed for something that I had no control of, no influence over, and quite frankly, have really never observed in my lifetime. I'm not saying it didn't exist somewhere. I'm not saying there wasn't some vestige of it somewhere. But that's not my problem. It's not my fault. I didn't do it. I shouldn't be punished for somebody else's bad action. To take your logic, that means that when little Bo Peep is, oh, I don't know, stolen from, we'll take a nice easy crime, stolen from, the criminal's brother should be held accountable. Or worse yet, the criminal's son should be held responsible for what happened to little Bo Peep. That just doesn't track. It doesn't make any sense. Now, if the criminal's brother wants to sacrifice himself on his brother's behalf, I guess maybe that makes sense. Surely it's been modeled that way in the past. But nobody should demand that. Nobody should force it. But the restitution is biblical, right? So somebody stole something from little Bo Peep, she should get brought back whole. Now, what is it if they stole her virginity? Well, that's another thing altogether, isn't it? Now, there there are some people that believe that the consequence for that could and should be execution. Again, not going to have that battle right now because, quite frankly, the church is silent on that as well. And by the church, I mean as a whole in these United States. Your individual church out there might actually have a bold pastor that speaks to this issue. But I don't see it. I mean, other than some guys in Moscow and maybe a guy in Arizona, there's nobody with a platform that talks about these issues on a regular basis that get any traction. And you got to ask yourself, why is that? Do we not want to offend the suburban moms that like the convenience of executing their child in the womb so that they don't have to be a responsible parent? Or it might be some kind of economic hardship, you know, because that's what the lady that wants to be governor of Georgia told us all, right? You should go kill your babies because they're expensive. I mean, that's not exactly how she phrased it, but eh, that was the message. How are we okay with this? I mean, yeah, we can only sing so loud, but at what point do we wake up? And I'm suggesting that time is now. You know, we've always kind of had this idea that, well, if people want to do things with each other or to each other, and they're both consenting adults, you know, it could be biblically wrong, but we're just kind of let you do your own thing. But they're coming after your kids now. Wake up, church. And while we're at it, wake up, pastor. Where are you at? I mean, are you afraid that you might lose a little money? Are you afraid that you might lose some of those people that go to your church that really, quite frankly, would be offended that you want to hold them accountable? And while we're on the issue, I mean, I've heard it before that they refuse to take on the uh, topic of the uh, seven deadly sins, right? Gluttony and uh, drinking too much and envy and greed and avarice and all this other stuff. 
it would seem to me that that would be pretty easy to lay it out what these are in the modern day applications. And, you know, maybe you ought to consider that. But nope, nope, we wouldn't want to offend. We're just going to tickle your ears while you're in the pews. So you keep the money coming to the pulpit. It's a sad thing. (sighs) And that just leads me to the final conclusion. And that is, if only 40% of our pastors actually have a biblical worldview, that means 60% of those pastors are faking it. And what percentage of that 60% are actually just bad people? They're the wolves, if you will. I mean, we're supposed to be sheep and we're supposed to, you know, convert the goats. You can't really do anything about the wolves, but what do you do when the wolves are leading the churches? What do you do when your pastor is basically a wolf and he just keeps the wool over your eyes as the sheep because, you know, he tickles your ears and doesn't let you know what he is until it's too late. How are you supposed to fight back about with that? How are you supposed to be prepared to deal with that? Eventually, you can only sing so loud and you begin to hear the screams and you begin to pay attention to what's going on around you. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that a church getting involved in politics is necessarily a good thing or necessarily a bad thing. I'm suggesting the fact that they are silent on critical issues of the day might be an indication that they're really not interested in what's going on. Oh, they're going to tell you they're there to preach the word of the God. And it's, you know, only gospel issues are concerning until, of course, they redefine what's a gospel issue. And I know I've touched on this before because, you know, social justice became a gospel issue. Is it really? Where do you see that? Enlighten me. I'm not convinced. Now, that being said, injustice is still a problem. Injustice has always been a problem. Injustice is always wrong. You have to have your equal weights and measure. You have to not show favoritism, but we do. And I would like to say largely at this point in time, it has very little to do with who your parents were and more about what's in your pocket. But it's still wrong. It's still equally wrong. And quite frankly, I would love to hear a church talk about that or get a pastor out front that would do that. But yet that hasn't really happened. And one wonders why that might be. And while we're on the topic of wolves in the pulpits, let me just leave you with this parting thought. If a pastor begins to proclaim a gospel other than what came from the Bible, might they be a wolf? Might they be a cause for you to quit singing and pay a little closer attention to what's being said. If a pastor brings in another speaker who preaches another gospel or promotes somebody else that preaches another gospel, might they be a concern? Might they be a problem? Should you not pay closer attention to what's going on? Perhaps stop singing and focus on what's going on. There are plenty of things that go on in the outside world that the church should speak light into and should be salt 
to the area, right? You know, speaking truth with grace, that's always good. But when you can't even get your pastor to do that, but instead they bring in some people that want to tickle your ears. They bring in people that tell you that there are many roads to God or, well, we all worship the same God or, well, you know, excuse me, my fellow Catholics, but I don't believe the Pope is a good guy. I don't believe the Pope is a good Catholic for that matter. And when you equate the Pope as to being over the Protestant church as well, I really have a problem with that, especially with the current guy. I'm sorry. So the final thought is, is it now time to consider Is Rick Warren a wolf? I'm fairly certain the guy down in Houston is. You would know him as Joel. And I have no desire to go around calling people out and chasing them down and getting in the battle royale about who bad pastors are. But really, at a certain point, the Christian church ought to be able to police its own. I mean... I've often spoke about the concept that the police ought to police their own. The FBI ought to you know, police their own. It's not a stretch to expect that the churches might police their own. But that's the problem. We're running out of good, solid pastors. And quite frankly, the elders in the flock are just too busy singing, singing louder so they don't have to pay attention to what's going on in the world around them. All the while, failing to see what's going on right in front of them. The answer is in the book. Bust open the pages of the Bible and perhaps spend a little time perusing it and compare what it is that you're being taught versus what's there. And you don't need a Bible degree to read the Bible. You don't need that master's in theology to understand what you're seeing. I mean, there's a half a dozen different translations that are pretty solid and they'll give you the general idea or a specific idea of what it is that's being talked about in this specific passage. And if your pastor or your elders are in conflict with that, I would suggest to you that perhaps they're the problem. If they're more concerned about what percentage of their body meets certain criteria or demographic mm, check marks, Perhaps that's a problem. If they're more concerned about how much money did they raise this week, that could be a problem. If they're spending more time talking about their latest expansion plans as opposed to how do you get to uh, know the Lord and experience his grace, that might just be a problem. Salvation is there. But you have to do your part too. And it starts with just repenting. And look, I'm not perfect. I don't claim to be, never thought I was. And if anybody should ever get that thought from listening to me or seeing me, well, shame on me. But what I will tell you is we have a standard. We know what we ought to be doing. And just because we fail to do it doesn't mean that it doesn't 
mean it's the right thing to do. It doesn't mean that it's not worthy of emulation. It just means that we don't measure up on our own. And with that, I'm going to wrap it up because I am running late. And I will just say, it's been a challenge to say this, to be direct, but still have plenty of grace. And with that, this was according to Callus. It was 287 and it was entitled when sing louder is not enough. Keep that in mind. We can't just keep singing louder until tomorrow. I'll see you on the other side.